so i think uh, if you look in the world out there all of us get a lot of shitty marketing that isn't really meant for us and everyone's really been talking about it but only now has the adoption really started happening because over the last year year and a half is when machine learning and all of those things have become really popular they're becoming more mass scale um, typical traditional brands are really thinking about it they think it can become useful for them well hello hello it's dianja here and welcome to the pioneer show the show where we talk with innovators makers entrepreneurs basically people who are blazing their own trails and creating their own lives so that we all can learn how to work on our own lives This is episode 9 and I'm your host Andre Dialkirk. You can find me at it's the Andre on Twitter and on Instagram as well as the show at Pioneer Show on Instagram. Today with us we have Pranav and he's the founder of Zeno, a startup that I believe is revolutionizing the way brands advertise using the digital world. Coming from a marketing and advertising background, this conversation showed me things that I never thought it would be possible at least in a near future. we go all over the place we talk about Pranav's experience from a software background to marketing lead to product and marketing lead all the way to being the founder of this incredible startup Zeno i met him when he was doing the pitch at the Techstars acceleration program for Metro focused on retail his pitch was one of my favorite ones and i remember just having my jaw on the floor listening to the entire pitch thinking to myself this is incredible i i, I couldn't stop so I don't want to take up any more of your time. Thank you so much for being here. Let's jump into the show with my man Pranav. Welcome to the show Pranav. How are you? I'm great, Andre. It's really nice to be here. That's really nice to have you here. For people at back at home that are listening to this podcast, I must say that this probably was one of the first times that I've ever been watching a pitch and as the pitch is going, I my chin is on the floor the whole time and I met you during the demo day of Techstars Metro for Retail. Um it was a great pitch and so that we are not jumping around could you give a short pitch about yourself could you, could you do that for me Uh yeah sure Andre Uh I think once again it's great to be here and I'm glad that you loved my pitch Um <laughs> everyone I'm Pranav uh I'm the founder of Zeno and we're helping brands delight their customers at scale um in essence typically when most brands do marketing to their existing customers they send the same communication to every single customer and what's really unique about us is that we help a brand do one to one marketing or like uh we like to put it if you have 3 million customers we help you create 3 million unique campaigns um so um early on uh, i've actually had a really interesting journey so i started out doing uh software development and then i moved to marketing from there i moved to product mm-hmm. and then all of those things came full circle to me building zeno actually I would like to tell you about a really interesting moment so while i was in the second year of university mm-hmm. i decided that i don't really want to pursue engineering anymore so, so j- sorry to interrupt I, you sorry to interrupt you so you were doing yeah. you were studying software development so computer science or any kind of any other thing yeah. right uh where were yeah. you studying Uh I was studying in uh, VIT Vellore Institute of Technology um it's one of the top colleges in India Mhm okay cuz cuz I think we had the, the first guest that we had Shikil Sharma I think is actually from that university that's why I, I was asking Sorry you were saying oh. so you were studying and in the second year you came to the realization that you didn't want to do software development is that it Yes Uh 
Can you explain us how you came into that realization? Um, so I was, you know, uh, going to classes, studying, getting good grades. And somewhere I realized this isn't really what I want to do in life. And I felt like I wasn't progressing towards what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was during that second year that I decided that I want to start a business or doing something really different. So, but then, um, in India, we have a lot of family pressures and my mom really went after me and she told me you have to finish. So I did ultimately go out and get that degree, but my life was completely different in the third and fourth years of university. So instead of focusing on what I was learning in class, I started uh, running a lot of projects outside. Uh, Yeah. So uh, while I I was in the third year of university, I created an event uh, which we called uh, IXPL, uh, IEEE Extreme Programmers League, where 20,000 students uh, from over 30 or 40 different uh, colleges in India participated. And I think I had gone so crazy towards uh, working on that event that we were even working on it during our exams. So literally an hour before writing an exam, I was working on it. And once we had to do something and I even skipped an exam in university to work on that project. Just to to give a recap, on the third year, basically just to figure out, you went on to the degree mostly because of your mother. Is that what I understood? Uh, yeah, I went, uh, I jo- started the degree because I wanted to do it and I went on with it because of my mother. But, okay. One question about that. And after, before we go on to the event part, what made you, what made you feel like you didn't want to do the, you didn't want to pursue the rest of the degree was there anything that happened were you getting tired of the 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 the, the curriculum what happened that made you not want to hear about the um, the specific of the, the the degree so i felt like the curriculum uh, isn't uh, related to the real world out there and it's really outdated and if i actually started working somewhere or i started my own business i would learn a lot more and I think over time that built up. So I wouldn't say it was a specific moment, but I just kept feeling that over a few months till the point of time where it boiled up and I said, I just don't want to do this anymore. Okay. Yeah. That, that, I, I mean, that makes sense. My, my main question usually is literally how do people from very conservative countries, like I assume India is, how do, how do you sell the idea that you have a degree, but you would rather be an entrepreneur or do something for yourself? But I assume that you didn't finish college as an entrepreneur or are you already considering yourself as an entrepreneur? Uh, so while I was in college, uh, I actually started my own business towards the end of the third year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was called Cuisination. Um, so somehow through all uh, my different learning expeditions, I had taken a keen interest in quizzing. And I really felt that it's not really fun. So I, I would go to all of these websites and I was playing quizzing games. It was just one question after the other and it wasn't really so interesting. And I had another keen interest at that time, which was poker. So I had actually started playing poker for real money online while I was in university at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then I decided to combine those interests together. So both quizzing and poker and we created an app 
at that point of time, Facebook apps were really popular. <laughs> so we created a Facebook app uh, called Q Poker. Um, you can think of it uh, like just like we had Zynga Poker and a lot of other apps out there. Mm-hmm. So it was a combination of quizzing and gambling. So the way it would work is uh, you'd first get a theme of a question and you could, uh, if you were really confident about that. So let's take, for example, sports. Okay. So if you know a lot about sports, you could bet on it and then you can go uh, even deeper. Then the next level, the name of the sport would come up and even more details till the point of time where the finally the question would come up, right? So the yes. idea was to build something really engaging. And yeah, so that was my start with entrepreneurship. So was, did this generate any revenue? Or how were you, were you taking like a a fee for every amount of money that was made during or at the quizzes slash gambling part? Uh, so uh, I think I made a lot of mistakes while running that business. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't really, I mean, I didn't really care so much about revenue at that time and we never focused on it. Uh, but somehow I think I had a lot of uh, differences with my co-founder. We didn't really know how to run a business and I felt like we were running around in circles over and over again. Mm-hmm. And even though we built a product, we put it out there. Uh, we didn't get as much usage as we would have wanted. And then ultimately we just decided to shut it down. Okay. And going back to the question about the conservative family, how did your parents yeah. or mother in this case, that appears that be the one that pushed you more onto the, the degree. How did your mother react when you started doing this business? And I assume, like you said earlier, you had an event in the third year. How did your mother react when you started kind of, I would say slacking off a little bit probably. Uh, so it's actually, uh, very simple. Uh, we had a deal that I need to get my degree and I can do whatever else I want to do besides that. So even though my grades were slacking off, I was working on getting that degree and I was proceeding ahead with college. So she didn't mind at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that, that, that's a good compromise. If it's, if it wasn't something that you thoroughly wanted to do, at least yeah. you found a way of dodging that situation. Yes. Okay. So, and, um, just to figure out, so you were doing your degree, you were in college, you were doing your first venture, Quizonation. And then when you started working, I assume, or you immediately after the first venture created another venture? Uh, not exactly. So I think, uh, while I was in the fourth year of college, Mm -hmm. uh, in India, we have this concept of placements where, uh, in the fourth year, a lot of companies come and you apply for jobs and you really sit down for them. I honestly wasn't really keen on that because most of the jobs were again, software development jobs. Uh, and ultimately I did apply sit for one company and luckily I got through on my first one. Mm-hmm. So I had that job on hand, uh, which was with a really big MNC company. And then because I'd never really wanted to do that, I was finding other opportunities out there. And one of my college seniors was working at a startup in Delhi and he said, why don't you come and work with us? Okay. What was the company? It was a company called My Guest House. Uh, so they had been invested in by Make My Trip, which was at that point of time, India's only NASDAQ listed startup. Whoa. Uh, okay. Yeah. And they would uh, like, so My Guest House was doing uh, pretty well at that time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, I got an opportunity to work there in marketing. So that was again, a really crazy moment because 
my guest house was a pretty unknown company and over here we have this mnc which has tens of thousands of employees or maybe even hundreds of thousands of employees and uh, everyone back home is saying you know why would you not join that company everyone saying it's a great company <laughs> uh, so i made a deal with my mom that i'm going to go work at this startup for 7 days and if i like it i'm going to continue working there and if not uh, my joining date with the mnc is in about 10 days so i'll just join that how long did you work for my guest house i worked for almost 3 years ultimately whoa <laughs> <laughs> so you clearly liked it a lot right yes so actually when i joined them i told them one year maximum two years i'm going to work with you because i want to learn how to build a company because i got a lot of things wrong and then after that i'm going to go start my own venture but i think i had such a amazing experience that i just went on working there for about 3 years before i ultimately started working on it and what was your goal at my guest house what were you doing specifically or how many jobs did you have during my guest house uh i actually switched through a lot of different jobs mm-hmm. so when i started working there uh i was working on marketing and i thought i knew a lot about marketing from all the work i've done in college and i go and work there on my first day and i realize i know nothing <laughs> that was a really humbling experience for me uh and that's the day when i realized the gap between university and the real world it's just massive right and that's something that a lot of people are trying to fix out there right now but anyways coming back to this so at that point of time uh, we were trying to really grow our search traffic and there was a team of two three people already working on that project mm-hmm. and i realized this is something that i find interesting because it's a combination of uh technology marketing combining all my skills together so ultimately i said i want to lead that project and i worked on it for about 3 4 months and i was actually able to either triple or quadruple the search traffic we were getting for my guest house Whoa. so that was my that's fantastic congratulations thank you so i think that was my first really big achievement uh that you know i was really proud of uh and then the journey kind of kept continuing on and uh over time for multiple different reasons we actually pivoted to becoming a b2b business instead of a b2c business mm-hmm. and then i realized in a b2b company the product is really important and a lot of things start from there so i started working along with the product team uh even though i was at that point of time uh in marketing mm-hmm. and over time i grew really fond of product so in essence for the first one and a half years i started as someone who was working in the marketing team and a year and a half later i actually grew to head the product and marketing team at my guest house okay and i need to stop you here sorry yeah uh, let's take a little step back you were studying software yeah. development what got you so passionate about marketing okay i think uh it just happened over time uh like if it, like there were a lot of light bulb moments that changed my path along the way but i can't pinpoint one thing that said i fell in love with marketing mm-hmm. uh i i realized like i love building projects communicating projects uh, uh whatever they may be and 
somehow through all my readings i realized marketing is probably the best way to do that and then after that i realized the best way to bring something to the world is actually to build a product more than marketing it and it was all like an evolution and i think marketing was a step along the way but my purpose was that i always wanted to leave an impact on the world and do something really amazing and at one point of time i felt like engineering was the best way to do that then i thought marketing is the best way to do that then i thought building a product is the best way to do that and uh and now obviously i've realized it's a combination of whole thing a, a lot of things that i experience as an entrepreneur every single day that's great i think that's that's a, a perfect and a great experience i believe that you went through all the paths that at one point you were passionate about and at the same yeah. time you're feeling like you're adding value to the world and adding value to whichever place you were going for or whichever place you were working at and you were combining all the skills you managed to to get uh one question that i have now is where did you learn about marketing i assume that during university if it was a very software development focused course or um, syllabus where did you start learning about marketing is there any book anything that you started reading any blog any videos any course something that someone outside of our conversation might be interested in knowing more about marketing might be also in university feeling like hmm i wonder how hard is it to do something here in this space you know yeah uh totally i think um i had no professional education in marketing i still don't uh i learned most of what i know through the internet so i started reading blogs i think uh when i think back to it at that time the best ones used to be hubspot quicksprout kissmetrics uh there was a blog by avinash koshik which was a lot about data uh and a few others i can't remember all of them but i would just spend a lot of time i mean a few hours a day just reading online about marketing and then i'd up- apply all of my learnings to whatever projects that i was building whether it was organizing an event or running cuisination or whatever else it would be and i think that continued even while i after i started working so when i had to start doing search engine optimization i knew zilch about it right i knew nothing so i just went online and i read about all of the principles the best ways to do it and then i just applied everything that i learned so i think that's a principle that i still follow where i just read online and i execute so a lot of people read books for me it's been reading online uh, that's been the most powerful thing in my life so far the blogs that i i've also read a lot of those blogs i also read a lot of new neil patel and yeah. is is quicksprout by neil patel as well cuz i know that there's one project yeah. by neil patel that also has a university kind of thing that has a full fledged course in a couple pdf pages have you seen that uh i don't uh, remember that right now specifically okay yeah so going back to my guest house sorry for for the the tangent that we got here so at one point in your career in my guest house you were marketing and product lead you were head of the both departments is that it yes i have to ask once again how did you become prolific enough in both product okay marketing i assume you've read a lot about and you had your experience when do you, what did you read or what did you start doing at my guest house to become prolific in product 
building or product maintenance or product management to be able to become head in two different departments at the same time i assume that's not a very easy job right yeah it definitely wasn't an easy job but uh, it's challenging and that's what makes it fun uh, i think it started off the same way so i would just sit with the product team see what they're working on then casually i started helping them out with some projects then i started spending a lot more time with the technology team as well understanding the way they think about it and the way i actually think about product management it's a combination of a few skills right uh, it's a combination of your understanding of technology design marketing right and then ultimately adding your product vision on top of it and then you need these three different types of skills to execute it and somewhere i felt like through my experiences i had exposure to all of those skills in a bunch of different ways mm-hmm. and uh, that's what got me really interested and yeah i think uh, then the same cycle started right so i started doing some work i got interested then i wanted to know even more so i went went online read even more learned more came back executed it uh, and that cycle was repeating over time mm-hmm. and uh over time i started delivering uh good results which is when uh the founder of that company said that i actually want you to take uh ownership of our products and run them for us as well and that that's incredible let's now focus on something that you were saying earlier that when you built zeno is it's zeno that's pronounced right yes yeah when absolutely you, when you started building zeno you actually become or got self educated by the idea that it's not only product it's not only engineering it's not only marketing but it's a mixture and a a, a united state of skills that you need to be able to gain advantage and to be able to impact the world is that it uh yes totally do you want to get a little bit deeper on that situation can you do you want to express more in this specific view yeah um so i think uh one of the things that's really changed for me over time is i used to think you build a product and then people in the, the world fall in love with that product mm-hmm. that's actually the wrong viewpoint uh because you're always thinking about the product in front of your eyes and you're looking at the world from that viewpoint uh over time that actually changed where now we look at the customer in the front of our eyes and that guides every decision that we do um and those decisions and all of those different things that i talk about from that um uh, everything really changes when you look at it from a customer point of view because the way you're going to build product the way you're going to market it the way you're going to sell it uh the way you're going to set up your finances literally each and everything starts from what the customer wants right and in terms of uh, different skill sets to come back to the question specifically mm-hmm. i actually realized that no one person can do it all and you need a really amazing group of people to do that i think uh, earlier today i was listening to a talk to destry from destrainer who's the founder of intercom mm-hmm. and said ultimately in life every problem when you dig deep enough is a people problem Mm. and actually really believe that uh and it's something we've been talking about at zeno for a while where everything is about people 
So it's, I've realized making an impact on the world as a founder is just really about getting the right group of people and putting them in a position to succeed. And that's what is the most impactful thing for a founder to do instead of working on any particular facet of the company, which is could be product, marketing, engineering, sales, finance, etc. So, and when you talk, we talk about Zeno, at the same point, you're getting the, 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 the user, the final user in check. So once again, it's the people problem. Why can you, do you want to elaborate a little bit more on what Zeno does specifically? You said earlier that imagine that we have 3 million users or campaigns or customers, rather you can have 3 million campaigns directed, personalized for just one person. Is that it? Yes. So I think uh, if you look at the world out there, all of us get a lot of shitty marketing that isn't really meant for us. I think there's a time that that's really going to change. So uh, if I go back to demo day, uh, so the guy who introduced me, Mark, he's been working in personalization for over the last five years and everyone's really been talking about it, but only now has the adoption really started happening because over the last year, year and a half is when machine learning and all of those things have become really popular. They're becoming more mass scale. Um, typical traditional brands are really thinking about it. They think it can become useful for them. So I feel like right now is the time when companies are going to start making the switch from just sending the same old boring emails or the same old boring text campaigns to all of their customers to so actually understanding them and sending them a campaign that they'd want. Okay, right? let's get let's get a little bit more specific here. So imagine that I run I'm marketing manager of a company and I want to or yeah, I want to develop a campaign, let's say Dunkin' Donuts is the example example that you have. Yeah. Are you saying that Dunkin' Donuts is creating a campaign for me and another campaign for you? But when you say yes. cam campaigns, are you saying that because I'm more of a Instagram user, I get a specific campaign just for myself on Instagram? Or are you saying that I get an email, a Facebook, a uh, pop-up, everything, but on specific things just for myself? Or do I get very targeted, targeted, in some cases, almost programmatic advertising just for myself? Yeah, uh, I think uh, what you said last, uh, a programmatic advertising just for yourself. The words don't matter are just for yourself. Uh, so the idea is Dunkin' Donuts has 3 million existing customers. And when they're sending out a campaign, they create 3 million unique campaigns. So each and every campaign is as unique as the customer themselves. And the way we make that happen is you might be spending time on Instagram. So you're going to see an ad on Instagram. I might be reacting to my email. So I'll get an email. Um, I might love a box of donuts. So my email is going to talk about that or you, for example, might like another product from Dunkin' Donuts, right? Mm -hmm. For example, they sell burgers in India. And <laughs> they sell on, burgers in India. Yes. That's weird. I, I assume. Yes. Uh, and then different customers would get different offers to based on their spending capacity. And one thing that we really realized that makes a difference is the time because Maybe you're just not in the mood to have burgers today or I'm not in the mood to have donuts today. So the perfect campaign won't work. 
So we actually look at customer patterns to figure out when they're likely to eat next or when they're likely to shop next. And so then we start at that point of time. So you're using uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning on top of the pre-information or the existing information of pattern behavior by specifics by specific users, you're using it machine learning and artificial intelligence in order to provide them with the specific and the best theoretical campaign for their need at that specific point. Is that it? Yes, exactly. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost seems like even though you're a marketing company, you're an artificial intelligence company applied for marketing. Yes, uh, that's definitely true. Uh, I think these days almost every company is somehow a technology company, so and we're all using technology. But I think it's the purpose that matters, right? Which is why yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, not, I'm not saying here that it's more one thing. I'm just trying to figure it out. Okay, so you're using artificial intelligence. Okay, okay, that that's fascinating. Okay, I, I didn't understand that in the, in the beginning. So and try to work through it through this with me i'm a designer do i have to design i guess I, I hope not you don't have to design three million banners or three million instagram posts right how do you create personalization imagine that you're a designer and i'm working for a new company that uses xeno which right now it sounds unbelievably thought out and unbelievably smart how am i as a designer supposed to create specific posts and specific images for 3 million different people. Okay. So every brand creates a bunch of marketing assets and then they have, uh, so by assets, I actually mean images. Mm -hmm. So they have uh, ready to go images for their different marketing activities. Then they'll have images about different products. Um, so what we do is uh, we plug in that group of assets into our software mm -hmm. uh, and all of those assets are uh, somehow tagged. So when we're sending out a campaign, our software can, you know, figure out which particular image is most relevant for a particular customer at that point of time. And uh, so the core idea behind this is that in instead of creating one image for every particular campaign or Obviously, it's impossible to create 3 million uh, unique images. So let's take a retail brand, for example. Maybe they sell T-shirts and dresses. Okay. So maybe they have a photo of dresses and maybe they have a photo of T-shirts. So I know this guy last time came and purchased T-shirts from me. So I'll send him a campaign. Why don't you come and buy T-shirts and check out the rest of our new collection? And the girl will get an ad on Instagram saying, why don't you buy dresses and more from our new collection? And the photo will be of dresses and the guy will get a photo of t-shirts. So for that same new collection, based on their past purchase patterns, they'll get different images. And all of those different images are already lying in an asset library that we pick out of. Okay, but okay, once again, but the, the question that I have right, right now in my head is, and this probably is completely lack of knowledge and actually ignorance in this kind of situation, but once again, I'm a designer and I design specific marketing assets, like you said. Yeah. Or do I design, like, imagine that I'm talking on MailChimp. I do, hi, insert name here. Do I design, a do I go to Photoshop and design something, say, hey, your name or insert name here, come get a hot dog or come get a donut. And your software is then able to 
identify that specific tagline of insert name here and introduce the name over there or is not that specialized all the way to the name? Uh, no, it is specialized all the way to the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it could be anything, right? So if I take that sentence, hi, uh, name, uh, come check out a new hot dog, right? Mm-hmm. So the name would get replaced with the name. The hot dog, for example, is a particular product. So maybe that part of the sentence will get changed in a different way for every different customer. So like that, I think in the background, if you think about it, our system is pretty much identifying a lot of different variables across that campaign and replacing them each for each and every individual customer one by one. That's incredible. Yeah. And that's unbelievable. So your, your software, okay, let's go a little step back even. Let's take yeah. the, hey, Pranav, come get a donut at Dunkin' Donuts at New Delhi Corner, New Delhi. So I don't, this doesn't exist, but let's, <laughs> let's assume this. Yeah. So I, as a designer, create hi, insert name here. Come get a insert product here at insert place here on Photoshop. And your software is not only able to identify the words, but it's able to identify the font identify the person that it's going to get this specific marketing and advertising and then change it specifically just for me and be it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, whatever it may be, you present it directly. Is that it? Yeah, but usually when they uh, write this piece of content, it's actually more on text. Okay. So uh, less on top of the image. Uh, On the image, we change the image itself. Okay. So if I got an email campaign, so for example, this would be my subject line, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it would be on text that we're replacing this, uh, not okay. reading okay. it on top of an image. Okay, because because yeah. if it, that was on image, that would be some magic, some <laughs> magical stuff. We don't do it yet, but uh, there are so many image recognition softwares and text recognition softwares. Yeah. Uh, just plug into today. Uh, so I don't think that's actually as hard as we're thinking about it, but we don't do that right now. Okay. So it's mostly on text and then the image you, def- you, okay. So let me see if I get it. So let's once again, assume the hot dog or the donut donut kind of thing. I'm on Instagram and I'm scrolling around. I'm missing a donut and there's a donut image there. And on a text on the caption of the post, there's, Hey Andre, come get a donut in Berlin next week. Oh, perfect. But it's for you or if it's for my father or something or my mother or my f- whatever, whoever it is, you say, hello, insert name here. Is it's time to check up a museum now that you're in Berlin? Does that also identify in geography? Yeah. So uh, we know uh, where customers shop and where customers eat. So for example, Dunkin' Donuts has stores all across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so based on where a customer is shopping, we identify their locations and then personalize communications accordingly. Once again, this is incredible. This is unbelievable. This is okay. How many clients do you have so far? Uh, we have 160 brands that are working with us. 160 all in India or are you all more international? Uh, currently all in India. Okay. Okay. India is big enough. Mar- it's a big enough market that you might not ever need to leave, right? I think uh, not so much in the B two B space. Mm-hmm. So we can get a ton of traction uh, here. Obviously, we don't need to leave for a couple of years. But then beyond that, we'll probably 
try entering other international markets in nearby areas like the Middle East or Singapore, Southeast Asia, for example. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, man, I'm 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 speechless. Just the potential that this has. Not uh, if the image was there already, and I'm not trying to to criticize at all. But if the image was there, I, that would be some magic thing. But even though yeah. it, there's no image, just the idea of getting a personalized text specifically just for you. The, okay, what which platforms does this work? It's all social media, all emails. I assume. Uh, does it work on pop-ups? Does it work on banners? Does it work in, in SMS advertising? Yeah, so uh, we actually focus on existing customer communication. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've realized uh, in India, the number one challenge is, uh, uh, channel is actually text messaging. Uh, then we have email, Facebook, and Instagram. And uh, two channels that we're actually working on currently are push notifications on the web and on mobile and uh, Google display ads. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, is it hard for you to do this on, for example, WhatsApp? Because I know that WhatsApp is very big in India, right? Yes, uh, WhatsApp doesn't have official uh, APIs that enable us to do this right now. Uh, so maybe down the line. If WhatsApp ever opens that that part, yes. okay. Yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm speechless really. This is, this sounds so ingenious and so smart at the same time that I don't have enough to say. So, okay, let, let's assume this. Dunkin' Donuts does one, uh, one set of campaigns per week. And if they have 3 million customers, we're talking about 12 million campaigns per month, just on top of Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, if they were running a campaign every week. Yes. And okay. And what's the, the infrastructure behind that for you guys? Do you have to, do, do you just plug in on their server or on their site and they go through you, but then resend everything from their side or do they have to go to your side and then you send them yourselves? Uh, yeah. So I think uh, everything is uh, based off our servers. Ooh, so, so, so you have to be able to scale quite quite a bit, right? Depending on the, 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 the size of a client, you might have to scale very largely to be able to withstand such traction, I assume, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think uh, that's one of the biggest technology challenges in the space because ultimately we'd be sending out communications to billions of unique customers mm -hmm. and it can be, uh, you know, a hundredfold of even where we are today. Uh, which isn't a very small number in itself. Uh, yeah, so I think uh, scaling that up is the biggest technology challenge, right? So we uh, we have a separate server and a separate part of our product that just deals with sending these communications out, right? Because ah, okay. the that challenges on that are very different from just using the interface and just using the rest of the product. Now, there's a second question that comes up with this is, if you're sending, and okay, you're in India, probably you don't have this this need right now but if you ever come to Europe and we're directly in Europe well, how do you handle GDPR because you're basically getting information on names probably emails you're getting information on age every shot you're getting as much information as almost Amazon for example yeah how do you handle that that kind of information so uh, there are actually companies uh, doing marketing 
you know, data-driven marketing in Europe already, uh, even after GDPR. Mm-hmm. So I actually believe that it's a good thing because GDPR basically says that you should do marketing with permission instead of doing marketing without permission. Uh, and there are a lot of companies that do a lot of marketing that companies might say called spam, where you're just reaching out to a bunch of customers who you don't have permission from. And GDPR is primarily cutting that out by making that illegal. But GDPR actually says once you have permission, you should market back to the customer and the customer can choose to opt out or to delete their data, right? So it's actually promoting the right principles that a marketing person should anyways be thinking about. And it's all about doing the right thing, which but, is something but which is st- one of our motivations behind software in the first place. But do you store the data? Uh, yes, we do store the data, mm-hmm. uh, but I think uh, to become GDPR compliant, uh, uh, because even though we're not asked to do some of those things in India, we already do them just because we think it's the right thing to do. And that's good. That's very good. Congratulations on that specific. So another question that I have. So imagine that it's me, Andre at dunkingdonuts.india.e.in, I assume. Yeah. Even though my the emails are coming from your server, are there are they from me or are they from Andre at Zeno? Uh no, they are from Andre at Dunkin' Donuts. Okay, I love I love your product already. I really love your product. <laughs> there's so much potential coming from a marketing background. There's so much potential here. I I I, I this is incredible. Yeah, thank you so much, man. It's uh, it feels really amazing to hear that, and you're saying that over and over again. So it's really humbling, and uh, you know. Uh, thank you. I have two questions now. First of all, on a higher level, and then I want to know something about Zeno. Let's go for the higher level. Why is personal marketing so important? Okay. Because as a customer, uh, I want to be delighted, right? Uh, if someone's reaching out to me, think of it as if you and I were having a conversation. Mm-hmm. I know certain things about you uh, and our conversations depending on that. For example, I know you're interested in marketing, you're interested in entrepreneurship, startups, people building things. But if I just bumped into you randomly on the road and I didn't know any of those things about you, we'd probably have the conversation, hey, how's your day going? And we talk about some random things. You know, you didn't enjoy that conversation so much, neither would I. But because I have this data, we're having a conversation about something you and I love. So as brands, what most brands do is they just have a generic conversation with a person. But with technology today, we have so much data about a customer and we can have a personal conversation with them, just like two people who know each other really well talk, right? And that's how I feel marketing should be. It's an extension of a conversation at scale. And do you think that is there any traction or something that proves? Because my my fear, once again, as a marketing back, uh, having a marketing background, my fear is that even though you might be telling me what I want to hear, you're still not Pranav, you're Zeno, you're not you're not Andre from Dunkin' Donuts, you're Dunkin' Donuts. At what at what point? When do you pass the the line of you're not talking to a brand, you're talking with someone? Even though I believe that personal marketing is very, very necessary. And I'm playing a little bit of a de- devil's advocate here. At what point does the human or the user stop looking at you as a brand, but start looking at it as a conversation? 
I think that's a multi-year process. Uh, I don't think customers feel that way right now. Uh, and when we work with brands, something that we tell them is there is an ultimate position of feeling where you think you want to be. But you can't get there in one moment. It's a step-by-step process to actually make that happen. So when we start working with a customer, we basically tell them over the next few years, as you're working with us, we're going to improve everything one by one and we're going to take you along that curve, right? Um, And I think that's what's really important because people think we'll get there overnight or it's just a switch. I think it's just a time-taking process. And as you become better and better, that's how customers will start feeling like that over time. Yeah, it makes sense. How hard is it to sell your 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 technology to corporates? Because I assume that even if it's a smaller corporate or a smaller company, even if you say you're going to stop using Buffer and Mailchimp and Hootsuite and HubSpot to do all these things, how hard is it to do that sell? Because at, even though you guys are three years old, I assume, right? Uh, yes. How do you? make the sell because even though you're three years old you're still quite young as a company how do you tell them to stop using a already established company in the business if you're somewhat new in the space okay i think uh one uh very key thing to note on that is Mm -hmm. that typically the brands that we work with we help them re-engage their existing customers so we don't uh, replace their acquisition marketing tools that they may be using for Sorry, 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 the the audio cut up a little bit. Uh, uh, Yeah, typically the tools that we work, uh, replace or work along with is their existing CRM where all their customer data is lying. Uh, And that's more of a B2C CRM, right? So, for example, they might have their data on Salesforce Marketing Cloud or Adobe Marketing Cloud. So, we could potentially sit on top of that and do marketing for them or they might be using a certain uh, smaller uh, CRM. Uh, so we might replace that or set up their CRM using our product itself. So it focuses on communications to existing customers. Uh, really, and, sorry to interrupt, really quick, for people at home who don't know what CRM is, what is it? Uh, it's customer relationship management. So every brand uh, has some sort of a software where their customer data is lying uh, which they use so if I have 3 million customers for example I'll have all of those 3 million customers in that CRM software and I'll have a lot of data about them including their past transactions what they purchased from me and all of that information is there so our product basically feeds in on that information to do the personalized marketing okay yeah makes sense Okay, uh, so you're more on the customer engagement side and us is necessarily, no, 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 not necessarily. You're on the customer engagement side and not on the customer acquisition. You're on the retention and not necessarily on getting more customers. Is that it? Re- yes, exactly. Re- retaining the existing ones and not trying to get more. Yes, yes. Yeah, people usually say that uh, the best client is the one that you already have. So you're working on that specific area. Yes, Totally. Okay, the second question that I had a few minutes ago was, you told me that there's this funny moment or funny story when you that led to the creation of uh, Zeno, right? Yes. Care to to tell it? Uh, yeah. 
So, uh, actually, my first customer is my mom. Okay. <laughs> and then a lot of my other friends out there. So, I realized over time, I was helping them with a lot of technology issues and a lot of marketing issues. And for any business, right, uh, irrelevant of how small it is or how big it is, the challenge is marketing, right? And for most traditional business owners with the all of the digitization of the technology coming in, marketing had become so complicated that they didn't really know how to market their business anymore. And even though they knew marketing is one of the most important things for them to grow their business, they just won't focus on it because they just didn't know how to. And that's where I really started off from where I realized I need to do something to fix this so that I can help all of the businesses uh, grow. Wow. Your first customer was your mother. Yes. And so she basically, even though she's your mother, she held you to standard that if she's a business owner, the basically your proof of work, not proof of work, that's very blockchain, sorry. Your guarantee that it worked was your mother or your mother's business. Yes. Actually selling to my mother was a really hard task because I had to convince her uh, in terms of the importance of this. And I think at that point of time, I had very rough thoughts myself. And uh, I think in the early days, like today, when we talk to potential customers, they're like, wow, I want this because it really resonates with them. At that point of time, uh, I was thinking about a lot of different things and it took me a while to really get it to resonate with customers, right? And my mom was one of them. How did you find out what's the best way of pitching? Where did you find it? Was there, is, was it any book or is it just experience that came up by selling and selling and selling that got you to the perfect script? Oh, I actually have this principle, uh, which I call be stupid and just ask. <laughs> funny thing that you mentioned, that, sorry to interrupt you, but funny thing that you mentioned, actually a few weeks ago on one of the episodes here at the Pioneers Show, I actually say that I try to feel, to approach every situation as a stupid person. Because if I approach <laughs> as a stupid person, I be, I'm humble and I ask every question and I'm always at the lookout for things that I might learn. Yeah, yeah, that's really nice. I think it's the exact same outlook. Uh, and I just applied that with customers. And early days, we would, uh, like I told you, we migrated from product thinking to customer thinking, right? Mm -hmm. And when we made that switch is when this magic really happened. Because the moment we were thinking about the customer, we started asking them, what are the problems that they really face? What do they really hate? What do they want to do? Right? And... They literally told us everything and we just went out there and then told them the same thing that they told us and it just worked. It sounds so simple, but that's what we did. The simplest version, simplest answer. Wait, what's what's it called? The It's Occam's Razor? I think oh, often Occam's Razor. I think often the simplest answer. Yeah, basically, uh, do you know the Occam's Razor solution? Have you ever heard of it? Uh, no. Occam's Razor no. solution is... Uh, I think it's a philosophical term. I don't know what's... Uh, it's a problem-solving principle that often the simplest solution tends to be the right one. Yeah. So instead of going around and trying to figure out what the customer wants, just by asking him, you asking them, you'll have the right answer. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, are you ready for now? Thank you. Thank you for much, so much for the, for this part. This is actually some of one very astute observation. Are you ready for jumping into the uh, lightning rounds? 
Uh, yeah, totally. So basically a lightning round is I'll ask you a question and you have one minute to answer. Sounds cool? Okay. Sounds cool. Okay. Uh, first of all, are you a book giver or a book reader? More of a book reader? Uh, a giver or a book reader? Uh, I'm more of a, a book reader myself. Okay. What's the book that you've read that had the most impact on yourself that you remember? I think uh, I recently read a book called Hooked, uh, which was about how products engage people. Hooked. Uh, and how to build that engagement loop. Uh, and I really loved that. What's it called? Could you repeat that? Uh, it's Hooked by Neer Ayal. Hooked by Neer Ayal. Yeah. Uh, the first the first customer, the, the first customer, the first episode that I had here with actually with Shaquille, the one that I think studied in the same university as you, also mentioned this book. Oh, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> and he's also a f- funny thing that, that, that I mentioned him. He's also uh, an Indian guy that was a tech background and I was doing more in the marketing and very interested in the business side more than the development side. It's, it's, it's funny. It's a good coincidence, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I assume you're going to say Zeno, but what's the tool that you wouldn't be able to live without? Uh, I actually wouldn't say Zeno because it's not a tool for me. Uh, it's for people running a B2C brand and I run a B2B business. Okay. Uh, for me, I think it's Google Docs. Google Docs. Yes. So I actually have used a bunch of different tools and I always somehow come back to Google Docs and I save all of my information there, right? Uh, all of my thoughts, uh, all of my planning. I even maintain my to-do list in Google Docs. Really? Yeah. I'm, I actually am, am, I used to use Google Docs a lot. And for personal thoughts, I've been trying to use more of Evernote. But the problem is usually I get so lost in my thoughts that I just forget to write them usually. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big problem. Um, tell me something you've changed your opinion in the last six months, please. I think uh, it's be stupid and just ask because I, I really like that. Yeah. And that's something that I learned while I was at Techstars. So usually as an entrepreneur, we always try and think that we need to be the smartest person and we need to find a solution and we need to do a lot of brainstorming. We think a lot, but actually it's not that hard. You just ask someone how to do something. They tell you, you go out and execute it and it works. Uh, like being at Techstars, we learned by just by asking people, how should we talk to customers? How should we learn more about what they want? How should we sell better? How should we solve this certain challenge in marketing? Or how do we do this in finance? Right? Literally any problem in the world, I believe, can be solved by being stupid and just asking. And I really like that view. Uh, I'm not. I'm not kidding. I'm smiling so much because you literally are saying almost the same words that as, as I did in this episode a few a few weeks ago. Man, I'm, I'm yeah. very, very happy for that. Uh, before we go on to the next uh, lightning rounds, I'm, I actually figured out. I just forgot asking you this. How did you come up from India with mostly Indian customers to working with Techstars in Berlin? How did that opportunity come? Came. Uh, I think one day I just got an uh, email in my inbox mm-hmm. uh, from Kelly, who's the program manager for our Metro Accelerator Techstars program. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, we just replied. We set up a meeting with them. Things kind of just moved on. And over time, through our conversations, we really just liked speaking to Jag and Kelly. Uh, Jag, obviously, being the MD of the program, who we spoke about early on in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, we always had the vision that we wanted to build a global product. And we felt like uh, this is a really good opportunity. And we liked the people that we engaged with. And we said, why not? Let's do this. I really like Jag a lot. He is so smart and so on point on his thoughts. I think he's a very, very incredible person. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Did you, okay, I, I think this goes without saying, but I have to ask, what did you think about the Techstars experience? Uh, best three months of my life. <laughs> uh, I can vouch for that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much in detail do you want me to go, but... You can go as much in detail as you want. <laughs> and a lot of it has to do with the learnings that we had, right? Because it changed the way we think about running a business. Like the way I think about it is usually if you're hiring a designer for your company, you're going to hire a designer with experience. If you're hiring a developer, you'll hire a developer who knows how to write good code already or who has the experience solving certain types of challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and tech Yeah, but when you're an entrepreneur, you're put out there to do a job which you have no fucking idea how to do. You have no clue. <laughs> uh, I'd say as an entrepreneur, you're way behind the curve in terms of how much you need to learn versus someone working in any other job. Uh, because a developer has past experience creating technology, a designer, a product manager a salesperson, a marketing person, literally anyone who you hire with a few years experience has probably already done that, right? And they're learning over time or if or if it's their first job, they're usually learning or they have someone guiding them along the way. But as an entrepreneur, that gap is really big. And in essence, Techstars filled that gap for me where suddenly I knew how to do so many more things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and... I think that's true for every single entrepreneur. I think people are just uh, going back to the last thing that we spoke about. Every entrepreneur thinks they're really smart and they're really amazing, right? So people don't really talk about it, but I think it's true for every single person that there's a massive learning curve. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think accelerators like Techstars cover that gap because they taught us about how to do customer development, how to sell, how to market, Right, literally any business challenge that we had at that point of time, there was someone or the other there to mentor us to solve that challenge. Taking the point that you were saying about uh, as an entrepreneur, you have no fucking idea what you're doing. Have you ever heard a Reid Hoffman quote about entrepreneurship? Yes, I have. An entrepreneur is someone who will jump off a cliff and assemble up an airplane on the way down. I think that's one of the most, one of the truest quotes about entrepreneurship and once again you just said that you have no idea what the hell you're doing and sometimes you have no support and I think that the accelerator like Techstars actually gives you the support that you need and I've seen that firsthand I've and the thing is you're saying that you're not the same company as you were five months ago once again I've seen that firsthand when I was in Paris at Techstars one of the companies yeah. was actually on demo day changing their pricing structure <laughs> on demo day so literally on their pitch changed a little bit just to encompass the new the new <laughs> pricing structure yeah that was unbelievable so going back to the to the lightning round sorry i had to mention this 
so if you finished college today, if you had to start all over again, where would be the first thing you would focus? Let's assume you have the same knowledge, you have the same degree, you have, you're just finishing college. Where would you focus? I think I'd start a company. About what? What would be the, the main goal of the company? Do you know? Or would you start uh, asking questions? Mm, yeah, I think uh, like I'd use the same principle if I had to go back in time. Mm -hmm. uh, like it would depend on what I'd be interested in. And mm -hmm. then I'd go talk to people, ask them questions, understand the challenges that they're facing, the problems that they're facing. And I would move again from that path. Right. Uh, like I, one of the things uh, in terms of one of the mistakes that I realized that I made is that I didn't spend as much time in the early days as I should have researching the idea, mm. which is why it took us a lot longer. We ultimately reached where we wanted to, but it just takes longer. Right. So if you make a mistake on the first step, um, I think the best way to compare this to is building a technology product, right? You first build a wireframe, uh, then you create a high fidelity design, then uh, create a front end for that. And then you build an entire backend. If you make a mistake on the first step uh, and then you try and fix it on the third step, it's probably going to cost you 10 X more to fix it. And it's going to take a lot more time to fix it. So if I had to go back and do it again, I'd spend a lot more time figuring out exactly what idea to work on and exactly identifying that problem because at Zeno, we ultimately did identify that problem, but it took us longer than it should have. Finishing up the, the interview with some questions and last things. So if someone has questions and wants to reach out to you, where can they find you? Uh, they can reach out to me on Twitter or they can just email me. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's Pranav, P-R-A-N-A-V underscore Ahuja, A-H-U-J-A. Okay, this will also be on the, the show notes, everybody, so don't worry. Uh, you said on your email as well? Yes. What's your email? Uh, it's pranav, P-R-A-N-A-V, at the rate, xeno.in, X-E-N-O dot I-N. So uh, I assume that for everyone that's also interested in knowing more about Zeno, be it as a client or as a company, as a eventually might want to apply for Zeno. So xeno.in, right? Yes. Well, Pranav, it was a pleasure having you here on the Pioneer Show. Thank you very much for the conversation. I really learned a lot and I really appreciate the time that you took and asking some or answering some questions that this stupid head might have been having, but I really enjoyed and I actually feel very happy that we both share the same idea and I'm not the only one because when I shared this idea with my girlfriend, she said, no, you're not, you got, you don't, you don't call yourself stupid. And I'm like, no, no, but... <laughs> It's not that I'm calling myself stupid. It's just that it makes sense for me that if I feel like I'm stupid, I will be humble and not think that I know everything. Yeah, totally. I, I love that idea and I love that viewpoint of yours. And it's been a really amazing conversation. Uh, I'd love to be on your podcast and best of luck. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you so much for plugging into this conversation. This conversation was great and I learned so much and I'm very optimistic about the marketing future of not only Zeno, but the way that brands connect with us on a social world and also in the digital world. Thank you Pranav for taking the time to talk with us and also giving us so many valuable insights for us. I don't know if you remember, but a few episodes ago, I actually talked about being stupid on approaching every situation as a stupid person. and. 
I love that Pranav also has that insight. If you enjoyed this conversation, please let me know. Any information that you might have missed will probably be linked up in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, consider subscribing to make sure that this podcast grows and we can get more people and help everyone be the pioneers of their own lives and careers. Please consider leaving a rating and review as well because this really helps me and gets me going and at the same time helps me figure out if I'm doing anything wrong or right. And please reach out to me on social media. Once again, it was really great pleasure having you over there. Have a great time. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.